Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right, let's talk uh, tactics of the enemy. We've been, I think this is part seven, and uh, then we'll be taking a long pause. I'm not totally sure when we'll come back to it. We have Christmas coming up, and we'll be focusing on that. That's a, it's that time of year, and I'm very excited about that. And uh, right after that comes month of prayer and fasting. Like, we're almost done this year, folks. I think that's pretty incredible, isn't it? So let's finish strong. Maybe, you know, I encourage you, no matter where you're at, I know sometimes we get to this spot, and you're like, oh, I didn't do all the things that I was planning on doing. It's, we're not done. You know, something I I always try to encourage others with, as I've been encouraged by it myself, is you're always one step away from making the right decision. That's the beauty of God and the beauty of repentance, that you're one step away from making the right decision. So let's finish strong, and I think that's wonderful. But we're going back into talking about the tactics or understanding the tactics of the enemy. We've been looking at, primarily over the last few weeks anyways, um, offense, bitterness, resentment, and now talking about reconciliation. So once we see his tactics, we're trapped, we're stuck, how do we, find, how do we get free? And we've been looking at the heart required for forgiveness, uh, but also we've been looking at... Um, the action of forgiveness. That's what we talked about last week, and that was radical love. And I know it's a hard message. The disciples thought the same thing. They also thought it was a hard message. Luke 17, we're going to look at that in just a moment again. They also did. But it's the right message. It's a compassionate command that he has given us to forgive. And I will tell you, if you're trying to do it on your own, without prayer, without the Holy Spirit, then it is impossible. To get the heart that's required to actually let go of hurts and to heal is going to require the the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You'll have to say yes to him and then allow him to work. It's going to require steps of faith. No one ever said it was easy. And we'll we'll define more of that today. So anyways, we've looked at the destructive effects that bitterness has in our life. Uh, Jesus was clear in his command to forgive. Whether it's been, you know, you've been overlooked, you've been missed by people, passed on a promotion, Same person glares at you, gossips about you, treats you badly, shames you online. These are all things that happen regularly. And I get it, there's a spectrum of offense. There is. Mocked, ridiculed, falsely accused, trapped in a sin struggle, can't break free, you hate yourself. Mad at God, why doesn't he change your life? Parents won't listen to you, they don't care. Kids don't appreciate all the work that you do. Spouse doesn't listen or even notice that you exist. Friends always choose you last. Rejection, abandonment, abuse, and beyond. The ways that people get hurt are endless, it seems, isn't it? They're endless. But that's not fair, right? Now Jesus says, uh, forgive, but we looked at why it's a good command. Remember this? We talked about this. You can go back and look at it if you want. It's, I think, part something or other. You'll see it online. (laughs) Cuts us off from being forgiven, imprisons us. This is the effect of holding on to that hurt. All those hurts that I talked about there, it imprisons us in the pain. It's not getting the other person back. It affects our physical, mental health, is the root of addiction and other harmful behaviors, causes our love to grow cold, sets us up for further deception, and changes how we see the world around us. Persistent, I'll read a quote here. Persistent bitterness may result in global feelings of anger and hostility that when strong enough could affect a person's physical health, says psychologist Dr. Karsten Roche from Concordia University. This means that even though you started out angry at one person or event, the anger and resentment will grow strong enough that through the years it will be directed not only at the individual or event that took place, but at other people around you. It doesn't even matter if they've done you wrong 
Holding on to that anger for a long time has, in essence, changed how you see others. That's secular research. Okay, so notes on working through forgiveness, and this is just important. You may be here and, and you feel stuck. You're trying, but you feel stuck. Let me just put your, your mind at ease or <laughs> at least explain where you're at. Forgiveness is a process. A process that might require grieving. It might. Might require external help. Might require prayer and fasting. Definitely prayer might also require fasting. There's multiple things that will help. Accepting what happened, acknowledging the hurts that you've experienced, sometimes that's a process. You, you acknowledge it to a certain level and you forgive and then as you continue to grow, suddenly you realize to an even deeper level, right? Shrek talked about uh, the layers of an onion. If you remember that, did I just quote Shrek? I did. So it's like an onion. <laughs> Sometimes it's like that, right? You forgive at this level and you strip a you peel a layer away and then now you heal at the next level. And that's, if you're in that, that's okay. The point is that you're engaging in the process. God's not expecting you to do miracles on your own. He's wanting to partner with you and work that through in your own life as you say yes to him. So forgiveness doesn't erase what happened either or eliminate all the effects of what happened. There might be financial or relational or you name it. I mean, those are probably the two big ones. Consequences that, that, that are long-standing because of offenses that have taken place. There might be struggles that you have because of the hurts that you experienced when you were younger that are a process now to break free. You start with forgiveness, but now you have to work through a process of getting rid of those coping mechanisms, the effects of the hurts. That's okay. Forgiveness, remember, is the pathway to personal healing. It's also just one step. Forgiveness and Forgiving and forgetting is not the goal. It's not the goal. You can't do it anyways. All right. The enemy is relentless. He tempts you. Look what he does here to offend, deceive, and distort. Tempts us to hurt others, then we're the offender. Tempts us to hold on to hurts, offended and bitter, which leads to distorts the truth of forgiving. He would love to, and this has even happened within the church, where people have been in abusive marriages and they've been told, just forgive and stay quiet. Just forgive and go back. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what forgiveness is even. You're, now, that, now we're adding on. We'll talk about that later on in the message. So we want to look at what, what forgiveness is, not what it isn't. Forgiving and forgetting isn't the goal. Forgiving and trusting isn't a must. Prayer and love is a must. Radical love is the pathway to, to forgiveness like this, okay? So when it comes to reconciliation, and we've talked about this lots, now, on the forgiveness part, <laughs> you might be thinking, amen, we have talked about it a lot. We have. That's because it's so important. Why did we start with forgiveness? You might say, start with the offender. They're the ones who did wrong. Why don't we start on their side, on their yard, and deal with that before we go to forgiveness? And I'll tell you why we don't start there, and I'll tell you why even Scripture doesn't seem to start there. Because God cares about the victim, and that is the one that's been hurt. And forgiveness is your path to healing. It's actually about standing up for the weak and the ones that are being oppressed by saying we forgive first. Does that make sense? Why the order? But now we'll talk about the offender because offenders do matter. They do. What about justice? What about consequences? What about boundaries? That's what we'll talk about. So let's look at Jesus' heart towards offenders. And, and to get there, I'm going to go to Luke 17, a passage we've already read, and I'm going to read it. And then we'll break it apart line by line. Luke 17, 1 to 10, you can read the whole passage, and if you want, Matthew 18, 7 to 35. Might have gotten that 
wrong. <laughs> but anyhow, it's, this, it's the same story, just told differently from different uh, person's perspective. All right. Jesus said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles in response says, say this to the Lord, increase our faith. That's impossible, right? We all feel like that sometimes. That's impossible. And Jesus said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping a sheep say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I drink and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say simply, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. All right. Jesus' heart towards offenders. The first one is this. Judgment is coming for unrepentant offenders. It is. God is just. God is just. It would be better, look what it says here, it would be better for him if a millstone, this is hyperbole, it would be better if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. So what is he saying here? I mean, these are sobering words that we have to wrestle with, amen? They are. But what he's saying is, like, this is hyperbole, saying it would be better. This would be better than to stand before Jesus, like to have an untimely, awful death now, would be better than to stand before Jesus as one who has hurt others. Judgment is coming for unrepentant offenders, and we should keep that clear in here. Offenders, now, it says those who tempt people to sin. Like, what does that mean? Have you ever wondered that? Well, it's all together here with this idea of forgiveness. And remember that same word there, uh, scandalone can be used for offenses are sure to come. But even there, the enemy's main place, so he wants to tempt us into sin, the enemy does. And is, what, what's his preferred soil? Do you remember? What kind of heart? Wounded. I heard someone say, wounded heart. Amen. So when the kinds of ways that we can tempt people to sin, when you are someone who hurts other people and takes advantage of them, you are creating the soil, the best possible soil by which the enemy can steal, kill, and destroy from that person. And there's so many examples that we can give on this, but having met with people who have grown up in, in homes where there was systematic abuse, you watch an individual, it's like their light has been, like the life in their eyes has been snuffed out. It can be decades afterwards. And it's as though they're still there. Jesus cares about victims. And he cares, he cares and it matters about what offenders have done. It does matter. Throughout scriptures, we see many warnings regarding the treatment of others. In fact, nothing seems to actually draw the Lord's ire more than the mistreatment of those created in his image. 
I mean, just a very quick uh, a study. Don't know, very quick. Just spend a lot of time in here. Sorry, I always have to do these little plugs. Treasure chest. Like, there is gold in here. I was going through the other day showing my kids my uh, highlighter that I got. I got these special highlighters from my Bible. They're very nice. Anyhow, there's like highlighters all over. Now, Travis sent me a joke today about someone who had highlighted every word in their Bible and didn't know what to do next. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that could happen. New Bible is what would happen next. <laughs> Anyways. Go through the Old Testament, and what are you going to find? This pattern of warning, discipline, judgment. And what are you going to find it linked to? Sure, you're going to find it linked to things like worshiping idols, but then he's going to list off a bunch of behaviors, and, and it'll all talk about things like killing babies, hurting others, mistreating the poor, mistreating the widows. In fact, in Malachi and Isaiah, the Lord said he didn't even want them worshiping anymore. He would rather they shut the temple then continue coming and worshiping and neglecting the poor. He even found it wasn't just the bad actions you did to someone, even the absence of doing good to those who needed it, neglect, he was angry about. God cares deeply about how we treat people that are created in his image. Whether they believe or not, he cares about it. It matters. And neglect is one of those ways that it's, it's offensive to God, whether we're neglecting the poor and the widow around us or neglecting our families. That's offensive to God. Sobering words, what Scripture teaches about those who hurt others, who tempt them into sin. Where's the hope, right? We're coming to that. <laughs> All right. How we treat others, those created in God's image, matters to God. Amen. Ezekiel says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live, but when a righteous person turns from his righteousness and does injustice, and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? The Lord does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. And that's why you see that pattern of warning, discipline, and then judgment. He's not quick to judge. He's quick to forgive. We serve an incredible God. He's slow to judge. He's quick to forgive. But if we refuse to repent from, from wickedness, if we refuse to change from, mis, from the mistreating of others, we will stand before a righteous God that will demand from us in judgment. So, now there's levels of offense. I'll call it spectrum of offenders. And I could have given a whole, like, I mean, I could have put anything in here, right? But I wanted us to understand something because You'll see abusers and murderers on there. Yeah, absolutely. Narcissistic people controlling behaviors, taking advantage of others. Absolutely. Adulterers, liars, thieves. What about gossiping? You see some of the things that are done with online bullying that leads to teenage suicide? Life and death are in the power of the tongue, the scriptures say. Oh, it doesn't matter. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That excuse won't stand when you stand before Jesus. How you speak to others, how you treat them, how you respond, it will matter. It does matter. It matters today and it will matter then. Breaking promises. You make a deal with someone at work or at a business. Now suddenly you realize it's a bad deal for you, so you break your promise. We're all offenders, though, aren't we? 
when you break it down? Which one? Jesus got down and he wrote a line in the sand. And he said, he who has no sin, cast the first stone. Today I would ask, is there anyone in here who has never hurt anybody else? Is there anyone in here who's never lied? Who's never taken advantage of someone? We're all offenders. We all sin. And our God is a God of justice as well as a God of mercy. He's both. <laughs> he loves people and he takes the treatment of people seriously. Little wonder he says this in here and that. We're back in Luke 17. Pay attention to yourselves. Right? So he's just talked about, like, we go back here. He's just talked about it would be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck than for you to cause someone else to stumble. And then he goes on to say, so pay attention to yourself. Why? Don't become an offender. Your treatment, pay attention to yourself. Your treatment of others matters to God. It matters because he loves people. It matters because it ruins your testimony. It matters because it profanes the name of God, the one you say you serve. It matters. Watch that you don't become an offender. Matthew 5, 21 to 22. Here we go. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Sobering words. What is he getting at? You look at offenders and you're just saying, the murderers deserve judgment. Jesus is saying, I see the full spectrum of offenders that are here. And it matters to me whether, murder matters, it totally does. And there's real consequences, good ones for that, here on this earth. But it also matters what you say about people in their presence and behind their back. It matters to God if you hold on to your anger, whether outwardly or inwardly. It matters to him how you treat people. He makes that very clear here. I love how Jesus had a way of doing that. I always, by the way, I always chuckle when people say, you know, it doesn't matter at all that we obey any of the laws because Jesus had a very different way of approaching his law. You've heard this. You thought this was, this was hard? <laughs> Let me just show you how I see it as I search your heart. It matters to him. Murderers, anger, insulting, judgment is coming. Whether, others, whether we hurt others small or big, we become offenders. When we recognize that we have committed offense, we must deal with it ASAP. Now there's good news. Here's the good news. You ready? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus sees you. He knows that you too have been hurt, even though you've also hurt others. He knows that. And if you will call upon his name, he has made a way that all of your offenses can be removed eternally. There may still be consequences here on this earth, and that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Consequences can be very good. But he's made a way that you can be forgiven of your sin for eternity, and you can spend an eternity with him. And all you have to do is call upon his name. You don't have to fix it all first. You call upon his name. 
Turn from your wrongdoing and accept him as your Lord and Savior. Now, turning from your wrongdoing, I, I want to be clear on something. There's an onus on that. It's not just a matter of, Lord, I turn from my life and I choose to walk in your, in your grace. That is an important first step. Amen? Critical. Critical, important first step. But what about doing the work necessary to change and heal in, the own, in your own areas of your life that are, that are causing you to hurt others? What do I mean by that? What about your past? Dr. Kurt Thompson, I've, I've quoted this here before and I'll quote it again shamelessly. 80% of, of the conflict within marriage stems from memories that predate the couple even knowing each other. You're like, what? That's because most of who you are is kind of formed during those formative years. A lot of it goes back to early childhood and teens. So if your childhood, and I'm not saying you weren't a victim, you might have been, but if that is now causing you to mistreat others, hurt people, hurt people, you find an offender, I will show you someone who's been offended. So if your past is causing you to treat people with contempt or bitterness or to withhold love, I'm not saying you have to change overnight. But I am saying, and Scripture would, would say, you have an obligation to turn from that deal with your past. If you're an abuser, maybe you leave and let your family have the home. You leave and be the safe person or take that step towards safety. I'm not telling you all the next steps. I don't know what all the next steps. Relationships are complex and they're messy. There's no way in a message series or even in a year talking about relationships that we cover every nuance of what's going to happen in your life and the brokenness that you've experienced. There's no way. I'm just going to do my best to point you back to Jesus in the word and the principles we see in here because I know they work and I know him personally and I know his heart towards all of you. So, Turn from the wrongdoings, admit the wrongs you've done, and receive forgiveness from God. Seek forgiveness from those you've hurt and make amends where possible <laughs> when you've done wrong. I'm not talking about earning your salvation from God, but I am talking about make amends where possible with those you've hurt. Remember Zacchaeus did that? I mean, he was scum of the earth, right? Tax collectors, taking advantage of people. He was an offender, classic offender, taking advantage of people. Jesus sees the offender, calls him out, Invites himself over. I just love Jesus, eh? Invites himself over to his house to eat. <laughs> Isn't that great? I should start that tactic. It'd be way easier to get f uh, food, especially with inflation. Just start inviting yourself over to people's houses. <laughs> it's a great way to answer inflation. <clears throat> Anyways. But he goes there, and what's his response to grace received? His response to grace received is, I'm going to give half of my, my goods away to the poor, and then anybody I've wronged is going to receive fourfold what I defrauded them. Fourfold. <laughs> Love that. Check the story out in Luke 19. There's a treasure chest in Luke there. All right. Um, let's go to the next point here. Seek forgiveness from those you've hurt and offended. And I also added on there, um, and uh, make amends where, where possible. And make amends where possible. So if you're writing that down, you can add that on there. Matthew 23. We'll go right back to Matthew 23. Um, uh, sorry, 5, 23 to 25. So if you're offering, so this is just after he said that whole idea of uh, murder, anger, insult, 
and you fool, you're in danger of the hell of fire. Now he goes on to say, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Right? This is now talking about, remember reconciliation, we're talking about two ways. So now we've talked lots about, I have to forgive the wrongs done to me. But now he's saying, now you realize, I'm, so I'm offering my gift at the altar. So maybe I'm here and I'm worshiping this morning, right? I'm sitting there and we're worshiping and oh, I didn't realize so many, by the way, Christmas songs had the Maranatha cry in there. That was awesome. Back to, back to this. So you're sitting there worshiping like this and suddenly it pops in your head. Oh, I totally hurt so-and-so. <laughs> Think about what this passage is saying. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to that person. Interesting. You're like, oh, that's just an isolated passage. No, it's not. That's exactly what he was getting at with Luke 17. He takes the treatment of others seriously. Those who cause others to stumble, it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck, he said. Why? Because it's causing them to sin. When you hurt others and offend them, you're opening the door in their life for the enemy to easily come in and trap them into bondage and sin and further pain. Here he says, if you've done something to somebody else, to leave your gift there and go and first be reconciled. And you're like, no one actually does this, right? <laughs> we don't, and I'm not saying we should right now. But the early church did. They did. In the first century, this is exactly how they did it. You know, the early, I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it again, but the early church, they took the words of Jesus literally. Novel idea, right? Sorry, I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. But anyhow, now we go back to Luke. Yeah, we already see that. Uh, Luke 19, example. Okay, so go and seek, uh, seek forgiveness from those you've hurt and offended and make amends where possible. You know, when I came back to the Lord, and I have many other examples too, but I had to go and make amends. I had done lots of criminal activity. And some of the things that I had to make amends for and apologize for could have landed me in, in jail or with some kind of penalty. So what do you do? Hide, right? Stay safe? Absolutely not. Why? Jesus said, why do you fear the one who can only, only hurt you in this life? Don't fear man. Don't fear what they can do to you, even if you're suffering your own consequence. I can't say don't fear. You will fear. Have faith. Take a step of faith. And even if there's consequences, watch what God does. I, I mean, I got away pretty good with uh, some of the stuff. I know there was a pet cage that I stole, and I confronted my boss. I'd stolen it while I was there. I was making pet cages. Anyways, I went and confessed that I had stolen it and was going to pay it back. In that case, he didn't want me to pay it back. In other times, he has. In this case, he didn't want me to pay it back, but what he wanted me to do is to pray for him and pray for his son. So I did. Lying. I've had to confess to some of you in here. I've done it. Some, you ever have those casual things you just answer flippantly and you realize you totally just lied? And it's like, why do you do that? It's stupid. It doesn't even matter. And you did it anyways. So then you go and you confess that you lied. And you just eat humble pie. And it sucks. But then you can sleep at night again. God has grace for offenders and for those that have been offended. There's lots. I have had to go and make amends with people that I mistreated from the past. I've had to make amends many times with my wife, my kids, people in here. Why? Because I'm a human being and I'll continue to make mistakes. It's not going to stop now that I have this job. 
This is part of life, people. It's part of being a human being. That's why we need to learn to forgive and seek forgiveness. If we could get those things down pat, we'd watch a lot of the reconciliation just begin to happen. I'd say 80% of it, if I would guess, if I'd have to give a number, I bet you 80% of our relational problems, if we would just focus on us forgiving and us seeking forgiveness for what we did, things would start to ripple effect and resolve. Not all of it, though. There are certain things where more is required. But it'd be easier to deal with those 20% if we already dealt with the 80%. We'd have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that was, that was close to God. All right. Looking at time. Why don't we practice that? Oh, wouldn't that be great to practice? Especially here. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's just take a moment. Is there someone that you have wronged that you need to seek forgiveness from? Lord, we don't want to take your forgiveness for granted. And one of the ways that we take your forgiveness for granted is when we turn out and go out from your presence and we don't forgive others or we don't seek forgiveness from those who we've hurt. Lord, we ask for the strength to carry through. It's not an easy thing to own when you've made a mistake. We recognize in so many of these cases where we might have to go and apologize, Lord, we feel like there's two sides to a story. And sometimes what, what holds us back is we're, we're waiting for the other person. We want to be justified first. We want to be justified. Before I apologize for what I did, I only did it because you did. Lord, that line of thinking... I mean, it may even be true. It might, I would never, the truth is we would never do bad things to others if everyone always acted exactly the way we wanted them to. But Lord, that's unrealistic. People are people and they don't bow to us. Lord, give us the strength to go from here today when we leave and to make right the wrongs that we have committed and to make amends. Give us wisdom Give us your strength. Give us grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. By the way, there's consequences sometimes if you've hurt someone, depending on the relationship. Again, spectrum of offense. Like, there is such a spectrum, there's no way that I can speak to everyone's, everyone's individual circumstances in here this morning. Not a chance. Even if there was only 10 of us in here, I couldn't do it with one message. It just wouldn't happen. But there is, sometimes you have to realize, consequences to being an offender. One of those consequences is what you might be ready to apologize, but they might not be ready to hear your apology. Do you hear that? 
You might be ready to apologize and they're not ready to hear your apology. And in that case, one of the consequences of being an offender is you have to wait. You wait on them. Don't go and re-offend them by forcing your apology on them. That's not an apology, right? That's you trying to be right and make yourself right inside. So then you resort, what do you do then? You resort to prayer. You should be praying anyways, but you resort to even more prayer and you pray that God would help them. Amen? All right, next, next point. Reconciling with those who've hurt you. I'm going to try to <laughs> wrap up this final point uh, in this message by giving some principles here that in no way, like I've said already, can cover every circumstance in here. But they're biblical and they're important in us understanding uh, the reconciliation process and wrapping it all together with forgiving. So, going back to Luke 17, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. I just love that. Every time I read it, I think Pastor, yeah, I know, I know. Pastor Ray was the first one who kind of put that together for us, those two, because there's a line break there. But as soon as he did, that's totally changed the way I read this because it shows their humanity, amen? And it just, it helps even that, that hard command of forgive to also empathize with us because the Lord knows. He understands that feeling of increase our faith. But anyhow, forgiveness first. That is important. Why? Because it frees the real victim, and that is you. Forgiveness, your forgiveness is about freeing the victim and that is the one who's been hurt. That's why it's so important and that's why he stresses it so strongly and all of the other things I said because he doesn't want your love growing cold and if your love grows cold, guess what? That is the fastest path to becoming an offender yourself. So he says forgive, forgive first. But this is not forgive and forget. On the contrary, he says if your brother has sinned, rebuke him, rebuke him. Confront now, is this saying you must confront? No, but it 100% legitimizes the, the uh, confrontation as a necessary or a, a needed component of reconciliation. And this is important because sometimes we, you know, this false kind of idea of forgiveness gets preached or taught, and that is you just forgive and forget and move on with life. That's not always the loving thing to do. Now, it might be, depending on the nature of the offense. And this is why I said you can't, you're trying to speak to everyone in here, right? Someone, you know, stole $20 from me and then they con confessed to me later, I stole that $20, I'll pay it back, I'll give you 40 And I say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, there I've forgiven more than the relational debt, I've actually forgiven the actual debt. Right? That's, that's very different than if you're stuck in an abusive relationship and your kids are at risk and you're at risk and now you're just saying, I'll just forgive and move on. I'll just forgive and move on. I just gotta be a better person. I just gotta be better. But you have people in the home that are being hurt on a regular basis. It's not loving to leave people in a situation where they're gonna be hurt and exposed to hurt over and over again. That's where a boundary could be needed, right? Now you might say, so then no forgiveness? No, no, no. Forgiveness is all the time. Forgiveness is all the time. But depending on the offense, you may decide to also release other types of making amends. So, confrontation can be the right thing to do. It can be. <clears throat> oh, no. I had my, where is this? Huh. Changed my notes, and then I didn't change the PowerPoint. <laughs> 
Uh, if that was the first time I did that, it definitely won't be the last. Anyways, confrontation can be the right thing to do, but not in every circumstance. So wisdom is required. In the case of abuse, uh, you might not even want to confront right away. You should actually remove yourself into a place of safety first. But then confrontation is necessary at some point. But getting help for how to confront is very, very important. Getting support for how to confront. Consequences are very important. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in, in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch that you yourself are not tempted. Right? So this idea of restoration, restoring people that are stuck in sin, not just forgiving and forgetting, but actually getting good at speaking to people but truth and love is biblical. It's biblical. Right? There's other things, like what about immoral behavior? Adultery, pornography addiction, lying, angry outbursts. Those are all areas where it's probably not even healthy to just forgive and forget. The loving thing might be to confront and even place boundaries. Consequences are good for us. So now you might say, what about don't you know, turn the other cheek? What about that? That just means don't return evil for evil. That's what it means. So if someone slaps you, the response isn't to slap them back. But it is not saying the response is you have to stay silent and say nothing. That's taking that verse way too far to a place where it never was intended to go. Don't return evil for evil. That's biblical. That's biblical. Overcome evil with good. That's Romans 12. Now we go on here. Confrontation can be the most loving thing that we can do. Wisdom is required. Truth always in love. And consequences are good for us. Consequences are good for us. This is very, very important. Okay? Uh, example. I mean, and of course, by the way, boundaries can be abused. They totally can. But they're a good thing. It is a good thing when people place boundaries and say, you can't treat me that way, and if you do, I'm not going to be around you anymore. That's a, that's a boundary and a consequence. If you're going to yell at me, I'm not going to stay in this relationship like this. Then I'm going to remove myself. That consequence is healthy. That consequence is loving. It's loving. Those are good things, right? It's not loving to leave someone, like in the case of abuse. I know that's the extreme case. But it's not loving to you, your family, or the abuser to stay and attempt to forgive and forget while people are in danger. That's not loving. Love, Jesus, love would have you be set free, but would have you also be taken out of that situation. That can be the right thing. doesn't mean you can do it on your own. You're going to need help. But there's lots of other spectrums. We've seen this work really well, like in pure desire. When we did that, there was consequences in pure desire. And Dr. Ted Roberts taught us things like um, setting up boundaries and safety plans for men stuck in pornography or women. Right? And when they would, if, if you're going to sin that way, then this is the consequence. Some of it was you have to leave the house for three days or you have to sleep on the couch for a week or you, all that kind of stuff. That's a consequence. You might say, no, 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 you're supposed to forgive. I've said sorry now, it was a mistake. You're just supposed to forgive. Yes, you are supposed to forgive. And the consequence is good. It's healthy. Look what Hebrews 12 says about consequences. For the moment, all discipline, that's discipline. That's another word for consequence. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who've been trained by it. God disciplines those he loves. Discipline's good. It's for our good. It's for our benefit. That's a consequence. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't forgive you of your sins. Absolutely, he'll forgive you from your sins. But then because he loves us, many times he might limit the discipline. It won't turn into judgment. 
But then we're, we're disciplined. He con- there's consequences for our actions. That's not a bad thing. All right. <clears throat> I've got to wrap this up. Now, I already alluded to, what is Matthew 18, 7 to 35? Okay, Matthew 18, 7 to 35, and you should read that on your own. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I'm taking just a snippet. But it's basically the same, it's the same uh, Luke 17 uh, that we're going to get there, just said in a little bit of a different order. But you see all of the same elements plus a few different ones. That's why I like reading the different tellings of the same stories. Anyhow, here though we get a bit of an expansion on the process of rebuking your brother. Right, so what does that actually look like? Well, Matthew 18 gives us a bit of a process. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's the first step. Not online, not on Facebook or social media or Instagram. Or, I think there's new ones now that the kids are using. I don't know what they are. But anyhow, not online is the point. Not gossiping behind their back. So-and-so did this to me. But going and talking to them face-to-face alone first. And you might say, what if I'm in a place where I'm not safe? That's different. We're not talking about that. Remember, full spectrum, I'm giving biblical principles, use wisdom when, ap- when applying. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. If he does not listen, then you can take one or two others along. Support that the charge may be established by witnesses. It says by two or three witnesses. I just deleted some words so it could fit on the screen. Anyways, if he refuses to listen, then tell it to the church and let him, if it, and if he still refuses to listen to the church, now you can let him be as, uh, to you as a Gentile and tax collector. So you can treat him like an unbeliever. Now you might say, oh, treat him like an unbeliever, that's harsh. <laughs> no. <laughs> Read your Bible. How are we supposed to treat people? We love people. We love. So what does that even mean? That means you can have a boundary if someone's consistently hurting you or or sinning against you. You don't have to keep them in your close proximity and circle. That's a biblical case for a healthy boundary right there. You approach them. If they don't change, you you give them another shot. Get help. Might be a counselor. Might be a pastor. Might be a therapist. Might be marriage counseling if you're in a marriage. You get help. You get outside help. That's okay. You can do that. And if there's still no change, then you can begin to set up boundaries. You can protect yourself that way. It's amazing how much wealth is in here, amen? So, what are the steps? Here are the steps. And remember, uh, now, (laughs) these are steps. I'm not saying that every situation can be followed in a one, two, three, four, five, six. However, these are the steps that we see outlined in Scripture. I actually am very suspicious that 80% of our our reconciliation needs would be solved if we just started with the first two. Like, try this, by the way. Like, especially if you're married. That's a great relationship to try this in. Go into, because if you ever, there's two ways we can go into reconciliation or into, into repairing a relationship. You can go in it like the most natural human way, and that is, I need to go in there and be justified and be right. The other person needs to know what they did was wrong. There's that way. There's that way. Or there is the way of, I need to go in there and love this person. I need to deal with my stuff and own whatever I did, my side of it. Now you might say, well, what if I'm in a situation where I'm just purely a victim? Like I said, I can't cover everything. I'm just saying for the 80% of our conflict... What if we went in there and said, I want to do whatever it is necessary to see this person restored? Because I recognize what the word says, that there's judgment coming for those unrepentant offenders. I see that. I recognize it. My heart breaks for them. 
I wonder what God could do with that. Anyhow, a lot of conflict, especially the regular stuff, the 80%, if we would just forgive our, those offenses from the heart and seek forgiveness on our part, uh, forgiveness for, the, our, for our part of it, you would find that your vision clears up. Have you ever noticed that? You give it some time to cool off, you, start, you see what you've done wrong, your vision clears and suddenly you see that the, the issue that was this big was actually only this big. You ever notice that in conflict? We do well to follow the biblical model. Anyways, share the grievances when you see that on there. Um, when you're sharing grievances with love, this is just one example. By the way, uh, last year for our 18th wedding anniversary, we went and, uh, me and Lou went to a Focus on the Family Marriage Retreat. Oh, if you ever get an opportunity, go. Amazing. Amazing. What a way to celebrate 18 years. It was totally worthwhile. I wish we could do it every year. Uh, but anyways, they taught us some of this stuff, right, on how not to say, you made me feel, right? But try different statements. When you did this, I felt this. Create safe spaces. You know, Pure Desire also helped us with this because we had lots. You guys know our past. We had lots of stuff to deal with. And there they kind of set you up through the, 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 you know, you're going through all your lessons in healing. But you finally are getting set up. She was in Betrayal and Beyond. I was in uh, Seven Pillars. And then you get to a convergence where we're going to have an open, honest conversation and share pretty much all of our dirty laundry. But you know what? It was one of the most refreshing, beautiful, reconciling things we ever did in our marriage up until that point. And you're like, how so? Yeah, I know, it doesn't even make sense. We're sharing all of the worst of the worst, all of the stuff we've done wrong because of the heart posture in which we went into it. Neither of us went into that, and, we, and you shouldn't even do it if you're going to go into it with an idea of I'm gonna be justified. I'm gonna be shown to be right. If that's your heart, I wouldn't even recommend it. We went into there with a, I wanna remove anything that I've done that's hurting Louise. And she went into it with, I want to remove any offense that it's hurt Stefan. And when you come together like that, it was a beautiful thing of reconciliation. It was beautiful. Obviously, there are circumstances where that's not possible, and reconciliation requires two people. And you might not have two willing participants. And I feel free on that. So, give the person a chance to respond. And by the way, when you see that, give the person a chance to respond, I would highly recommend this. Read 1 Corinthians 13 before you do it. You ever had it where, you know, you apologize to someone or someone apologizes to you, you tell them what they did wrong, they apologize, and then you say, well, you're not really sorry. Or maybe you've seen this with your kids, <laughs> if you have kids, right? Oh, I'm sorry I did that. You're not even really sorry. And then you're like, okay, <laughs> there's no winning. But we do it as adults too. What would happen if we approached forgiveness? And that's, by the way, 1 Corinthians 13 is given in the context of there was division in the church. That's where he gets to there. And he's saying, love, guys. Don't just do all the gifts and all the wisdom and all the good stuff. Love. If you don't have love, you have nothing. Bring it all together. All right. Let's, uh, last song. Are you guys here? You are. They're wondering if I'm going to keep going. I, come on out. Yeah. Let's last song, amen? Yeah. Let me pray for you guys as they're getting ready. You guys ready to walk in this? Relationships are messy, but they're also beautiful. And if we can get this right, if we can learn how to forgive, seek forgiveness, make amends, how to reconcile, we're going to learn something that's going to model Jesus to the world in a way that nothing else does. Because we're going to actually walk as people that are unoffendable. People that walk in radical love and generosity. Lord, right now I lift up everyone here, all of us, myself included. And I know that here, Lord, there are, there are those who are victims who have been hurt, deeply hurt. 
Lord, today I'm asking for your spirit to touch those deep wounds. Some of them are fresh. Some of them are old. Some seem totally infected. But Lord, we know you're the great physician. I ask that you would kneel down in the sand before those victims. That you would defend them in a way that they would know you're there defending them. That you'd give them the strength to walk this journey. The wisdom to know what to do. The supports around them that they could be helped. And Lord, for those of us who are offenders, I am an offender, Lord. I know it. Lord, teach us to deal with our offenses quickly, Lord, that we would not sit when we have hurt someone. We want to be a type of people that drop everything, like you said. Drop it all. Not waiting for the perfect moment, but dropping it all to make amends, to seek forgiveness from those we've hurt. And Lord, for the broken relationships in here, the broken hearts, the broken families, COVID, a church split, regular family life, there's so many things that have just torn us apart in so many ways. Oh Lord, teach us first to forgive and seek forgiveness for the wrongs that we've committed, to come to you in prayer. And then Lord, we're asking that you would give wisdom and power and grace. Lord, give us a new heart. Help us let go. Heal us. Give us the courage to own our mistakes. Teach us to reconcile with those around us as you reconcile with us. Give us wisdom in how to respond. Cover us in grace. Teach us to be unoffendable.